humiliate, insult, right, and mistreat and demean females in your community. But yet, you have the audacity to call angels the daughters of God. You yourselves are the ones who say to the prophet, <clears throat> what is your worth? You're such a poor person of low social standard, so you're unworthy of receiving revelation. So Allah's bringing up all these arguments to tell them, all of them have no foundation. All of them make no sense. And if only some reasonable people would look all of this, and find all of this, they would find the truth. And then Allah says, you know what? He's, he's unraveling their real wishes, right? He says, you just want all of this to stop, don't you? You just want revelation to stop. You want the life of this man to even end. But you know what? Does it make sense to you that God himself would start to withdraw reminders? Would ultimately just stop revelation altogether? Just because of your wishes? Just because of your corruption? This is a really very central question of this surah. Then Allah in this surah speaks of the consequences. Consequences of worshipping the ornaments of this life. You know, and Allah asks this question of, what is real to you? How do you really know the real worth of anything? Because they're looking at the Qur'an as worthless. They're looking at Prophet Muhammad as worthless. They're looking at poor people in the community as worthless. And they're stating that the things that they're following are full of worth. They're the ones of value. They're, they're the things of value. So Allah is asking a very central question to them and all of us. This is a timeless question. How do you know what's truth? How do you know that something has worth or no worth? Well, there are two possibilities here. Either that we're coming up with our own worldview and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and what's worthy and what's not worthy, what has standing and what has no standing, or that we're following a divine source that informs us of its view on the world and on reality, on our truth. So Allah's asking, how do you judge it? Check with yourself. Are you following a divine guidance, a divine guidance? Or are you following your own guidance and your blind ways claiming things like my fathers and grandparents are the ones who did it this way? So I'm just following what they say because it, it's, it's a truth. Allah then speaks of the consequences of this. And the consequences of this are very severe. And they're going to translate into ultimately corruption, loss of life, loss of our own ways, right? Failure, you know, uh, incredibly widespread failure for the human being and all of society, but also attraction of evil to one's life. Attraction of evil, including bad company to one's life. So Allah Azza breaks all of this down, and He's saying, if you really wish for things to end, for this revelation, for these reminders to end, they're not gonna end. You know what's gonna end? You. Because if you look at Allah's ways in the past, well, there have always been people who wanted to stop revelation. Their way of dealing with truth, with justice, with things that call them to change their ways is to say, I don't know, not only do I not wanna hear it, I want it to end. I'll make sure it ends. Allah states or brings up the example of Fir'aun and others who similarly looked at his prophet, the prophet that was given, you know, delivered or sent to the um, to, to the Israelites and to Egypt, Musa, they looked at him as worthless in the same way. 
But Allah asked the question, what happened at the end? Did their view on Musa and the revelation change their world? It didn't. But you know what ended? Their own lives. Because Fir'aun ended up drowning. So essentially, it ends up being an effort of wrapping that rope around one's own neck. Because revelation will not stop. Let's inshallah <coughs> reflect on some of those passages of the surah. Um, and inshallah, we ask Allah that he allows us to gain wisdom and insight from this beautiful uh, revelation. Allah begins the surah. Uh, actually, let me state to you, remind you of the verse or a couple of verses that the last surah ended up with, because it's an extension, as I said. Allah ended the last surah. Surah al-Shura with, وَكَذَلِكَ أُوحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ رُوحًا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا مَا كُنْتَ تَدْرِي مَا الْكِتَابُ وَلَا الْإِيمَانُ وَلَكِنْ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُورًا نَهْدِي بِهِ مَنْ نَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا وَإِنَّكَ لَتَهْدِي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Allah says at the end of that surah, to see the continuity of these surahs, you know, um, speaking of the exalted status of the Qur'an, it is different. Allah says, and as such we have delivered you a spirit from the command of Allah. It's a spirit. It's revelation, but embedded in, into this revelation of Allah, a spirit from the heavens that really enlightens. And he's asking the question, did you know about this? It's saying to the Prophet what did you know before this revelation? You had no book, you had no revelation, no divine guidance from Allah which is to affirm ultimately that we have no way of knowing anything without what? Revelation from Allah we are left to our own desires and wills, which is problematic. And we see the evidence of this from the behavior of human beings throughout history. So Allah, throughout these surahs that we've been covering in the last period, we see this emphasis on the theme of the Qur'an, power of the Qur'an, exaltedness of the Qur'an, clarity of the Qur'an, the source of the Qur'an. <coughs> to remind all of us, how is it that you wouldn't follow this? So Allah begins the surah by saying, Hameen, wal kitab al-mubeen, inna ja'alnahu qur'anin arabiyya la'allakum ta'qiloon. Allah takes an oath. Takes an oath. Again, he's delivering a very intense and sharp rebuke to the, to the disbelievers in Mecca, challenging their ways and arguments. And he's going to state for them the severe consequences that wait for them. So he has to begin in a very powerful way. And the way to begin this surah was, mubin by this evident manifest book. It's very manifest. Mubin means not only something that is clear, Mubin means the thing that makes things clear. Without it, what clarity do we have in our lives? What's truth and what's falsehood? What makes sense and what doesn't make sense? We have no clue. As much as we want to pretend. Then Allah <coughs> states the quality of this Quran. Again, he's addressing these idolatrous Arabs, disbelieving people who are blindly following their forefathers' way. They're very stubborn and they're clutching onto life. So Allah says, pay attention. Open your mind. Having to make this Quran, you know, be delivered with Arabic language, he says, "Inna Arabiya." We made it Arabic for you that you have no excuse. It is so clear, so that you can understand. Indeed, this book that has come to you is reminding them of the source again. It's not a human being who authored this book. He says, "This book." came from where? 
Uh, first, he says, Ummil Kitab. Fi Ummil Kitab. It came from Ummil Kitab. Ummil Arabic means mother. Kitab means book. He says, in the mother of the book. This revelation is most high, most wise. What is he talking about? Ummil Kitab has been interpreted to mean the preserved tablet in the heavens that contains within it what? An inscription of all revelations that is unchangeable, nobody can tamper with it, it's locked up, right? <coughs> Only access by Allah, so within that tablet, Allah has inscribed from before creation, from the time of before creation, all the revelations and all the inscriptions. So the Injil, and the Torah, and the Zabur, and the Suhaf Ibrahim, all revelations throughout history are contained in the mother of the books, or the mother of the book. It's called Al-Aful Mahfuz, the preserved tablet. So here's what Allah said. Allah said this book came from the heavens. It's inscribed in the preserved tablet. And you know what's the standing of this book that you see as worthless? Because those are your eyes. You're looking at the world with your own lens. Deviant lens, deviant mind. This book, I remind you, came from Allah Himself. And He placed it in the preserved tablet. And the position of this book in relation to other revelations is where? Highest. They're all delivering the same message, by the way. But amongst them, Ali. It's high. And what? Hakim. Allah is attributing to the Quran qualities of Allah Himself. Allah is Ali, right? When we say, Subhanahu Rabbiya, Al A'la, when we're prostrating. We, decide, we declare that we're really, you know, we're weak, we're servants, we're placing our intellects on the ground for who? The Most High. So we say, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, the highest of the high. So Allah this attributes some of those qualities to the Qur'an itself, and He calls it Ali. Ali means very high, but it's also what? Wise. So you notice so far He has emphasized what? It's a very clear book. It's in Arabic that you might comprehend it. It's very high, it's very wide. So Allah is asking the question, is there anything ambiguous in this? Every single verse, surah, word, letter in the Quran is clear. Very clear. And not only is it clear, it's in a language you understand, but also more importantly, the message of it, every instruction, every single injunction in the Quran is very well. Crystal clear. Halal is clear. Haram is clear. Falsehood is real. Is, is clear. Truth is clear. Source of it is clear. Where you came from is clear. Where you're going is clear. Allah is asking, is there anything in the Quran that you heard that is not clear? This is one of the blessings of the Quran, by the way. It's so unambiguous. It is so unambiguous. And by the way, this is one of the common questions we have in our era. You know, we start confusing the picture. We start wanting to inject ambiguity into the message. But not only this, we start coming up with bizarre ideas and thoughts, all of which are ambiguous, by the way. And some of them, even like many of the intellectuals of our, of our, our age, inject this, forcibly inject it, and start to adopt bizarre ideas that are so ambiguous and so unclear. And Allah says, it doesn't match with this. So this is actually a gauge for all of us. If something is super ambiguous and unclear, right? It doesn't mesh with the Quran. 
This is a very simple thing for all of us, right? Quran and its message and its content are very unambiguous and very clear. So he's posing this question to the, to the idolaters and the disbelievers. He's asking, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you so corrupt? Why are you attributing um, horrific uh, uh, you know, accusations to the Quran and to Prophet Muhammad and insisting on your ways and, and playing dumb? Pretending like you cannot understand or see. Is there anything unclear here? The answer is a, you know, a, a, a numbing no, right? No, absolutely not. And then Allah Azza poses this, or makes this powerful statement. He says, let me expose to you what you want. Again, you want this to end. You want this revelation to end. You want this man to be dead. All just for what? <laughs> you don't sacrifice your own lives. You don't sacrifice any change in your life. You don't want to do it. Because you're on a struggle to overcome your desires. Which is about what? Attachment to this world. So Allah is asking a rhetorical question. He says, do you really think, you fools, that we're going to stop this revelation and stop reminding you over and over and over on account of your own failures and corruption? As if to say, listen, I can't deal with Shabbos. It's just too logical for me. So one possibility is just to keep making not only too much noise, but I'll insist on my evil ways. I'll be more corrupt in the hope that he would just stop his ways and really wish for that and, 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 and intent, you know, or, or make my efforts, right? You know, be geared towards that, just to end him and end his life and anything, anything he, he, he's doing by virtue of me just making too much noise and insisting on my corruption. So Allah says that corruption and the insistence on it will not end revelation. It will not change the ways of the heavens, which is to constantly remind, despite the mischief of people. So the mischief of people does not end the reminders. That's a very significant theme in the Quran. Allah, out of His mercy, and out of His justice, will continue to deliver reminders. Now, we don't have revelation. So how does Allah remind us? Well, we have the Quran with us. But also we have the examples of those who are touched by Allah, who are guided by revelation, that they themselves become signs and reminders of the truth. Make sense? But Allah will never start, stop His work on earth just because of the evil and the mischief of people. What Allah ends is what? He's telling them, you know what I'll end? Your own lives. I'll end your own ways. But this will not end. And if you're not convinced, all you have to do is what? Go back into history and you'll find that conclusion with every single nation that was very corrupt and very evil. Allah so asks next, have you not seen how many messengers we've sent before you? The ways of Allah never change. Messengers have been sent throughout time. Revelations and reminders have been sent throughout time. And that's the mercy of Allah. And it's the way of Allah. Remember last surah? Spoke of how wahi is delivered. Wahi is delivered. And the wahi, which is revelation, translated as revelation, but wahi means again, swift, secret, uh, communication. Swift, very quick, secret, you don't see it, revelation, right? Or communication. That's called wahi. Wahi is the mode of communication from Allah. 
You have to understand that. One of the central ways in which, or through which Allah delivers his communication, because again, we do ask these stupid questions. How come God spoke to us through these words? Why doesn't he show himself up, right? Allah says, I don't do that. I choose how I communicate, not you, because I'm the creator. So Allah says, have I not delivered this mercy throughout time and insisted on delivering reminders and revelation? That never stopped. That never perished or ended. But what has what is, what is ended is the faith in what? The nations that resisted this revelation. They sealed their own fate by their insistence on um, fighting and resisting this revelation of Allah. So he now tells them about that faith by saying, you know, you've done nothing but mock these messengers. So he says, you know what we've done? Those who are even more powerful and more evil than you, we've ended them. We've destroyed them. We finished them off. So how is it that you would think that we wouldn't do the same with you? And then he now starts unraveling their own foolish arguments. Because they're coming up from the Quraysh and doctors of Mecca, those disbelievers did not deny the existence of God. They just came up with partners to God. That's what they've done to do away with any attempt to change our lives. They just don't want to change our ways. So they've invented things, made them up. They say, these are our intermediaries with God. We just have to please them. We don't have to deal with you. Right? That's it. And since these are dumb and blind, they're not going to tell us anything, so that's great. Right? It's just you know, fictitious invention of somebody's mind and, and whims and desires. So Allah says, if you were to be asked, If you were to be asked, you fools. And Allah is again hoping for somebody with common sense in the larger community to ask that question. If you were to be asked, who created the heavens and the earth, you yourselves will say what? You would yourself say, the one who made them is Al-Aziz, Al-Alim, the powerful one, the knowledgeable one. So you yourself just said he is knowledgeable and powerful, and yet you defy him, and yet you create partners for him that he didn't tell you about, and then he reminds all of us. He says, the one who has created this earth, because you forgot his mercies, his power, indeed. You're making statements, but they're not real in the heart. They're not real in the heart. So he says, the one who leveled this earth for you and made it a place of comfort and repose. Again, we take it for granted that the earth is level. We take it for granted that we're able to actually even lean and sleep on this earth, right? That we're able to find repose at night. Who created and invented all of this, but Allah Azzawajal, who has carved out paths within this earth and he says, who is it that brought down to you from up above water that makes, you know, uh, barren land full of life? Bringing out of it life itself, vegetation and fruits for you to be nourished and survive, right? Who, who has done all of this? You yourself know that it's Allah. But it's in that moment of unconsciousness. It's in that moment of... Um, blindly following somebody's whims and desires out of attachment to the very gifts that God had sent that we cannot find the, the, the hand of God behind it. 
right? We're busy and consumed, become consumed by the gifts themselves that we forget, forget the, you know, to ask one simple question, who made it? Who provided this and for what purpose? Allah says, you forgot all of this. And Allah beautifully says, you know, in verse 12, he says, well, we created for you also mates, for your own survival, to sustain the human race, who has also provided that mate for you. And the whole institution of mating and marriage, but the one who is the source of everything. Then he says, and we've provided for you from cattle and animals, right? Um, <clears throat> things that you can ride on and mount. You can mount it on its backs. And that you remember the mercy and uh, the bounty of your Lord when you have settled on them. Now, I stated it in, in, in the language of the Quran. I'm sure it triggers something in your head about a dua we all know. Have you heard anything here that resembles something we say daily? The dua of, the dua of travel and the dua of riding a vehicle. What does that have to do with these verses? It's really very significant. So Allah says, He's reminding you, he's, he's bringing them back to the source. Right? When all else fails, all remember where it came from and ask simple questions. Unambiguous, clear questions. Where did it come from? So Allah says, You've taken everything for granted. Not only the food and drink that you eat, the fact that an apple is edible, it's, it's, you know, it's something you can actually bow on with your teeth. And that this made, don't take them for granted, and the whole marriage thing, and the ability to procreate so that you can survive. Ask, Where did it come from? But also Allah is inviting us to our attention to simple things we do daily. These Arabs at the time were able to mount what? Camels and donkeys and horses. As opposed to lions and tigers. Well, who is it that decided and made the donkey and the horse and the camel rideable? Right? But not the lion and the tiger. Allah is asking a very simple question. You think it's random? And not only this, you're actually riding it. So you're eating their flesh. You eat the flesh of the, of the cow, of the camel, of the sheep. You mount some of them. Well, who decided this? And aren't you thinking, wow, I'm actually able to get on the back of an animal and ride it and go places with it. Allah says, you haven't thought about that? So Allah says, you know why I gave you that animal? Well, that when you eat it, you say, Bismillah and Alhamdulillah. It came from Allah. I would not have done this to myself. You would die without the fruits and the vegetables and the sheep around us. would die. We would have nothing to eat. But not only this, Allah says that when you even ride that animal, that you would say what? That this animal is given to you, subjugated for you. It is Allah who subdued this animal that it doesn't run wild on you when you ride its back. Right? If you're able to actually tame it with time, like if you think of a wild horse, initially you cannot ride them, but with time you can walk. But human beings learn what to do. Tame it. But that's from who? Who made it tameable? Right? Who made it respond to your training? Allah Azza wa Allah says, I subdued them for you. For one purpose. That when you get on their backs, you, do, you say what? You remember the source. 
Even that ability to ride the animal is a reminder from Allah to worship Allah. SubhanAllah. Like that literally when you get on that donkey or horse or camel, like wow, this is a reminder about Allah. It's not even about me getting to my destination. It's about me saying subhanallah. That is the dua we learn from Prophet Muhammad to say when? When you ride any vehicle. So it turns out this is not just about the camel and the donkey and the, and the, donkey and the horse, but it's also about the Porsche and the Benz and the Toyota, and the, right? And the plane and the, and the boat and the sea and fish. SubhanAllah. Allah saying all of that, even that metal you ride into, has been subjugated to you by Allah. You're the one, how do you melt it? And who gave you even the intelligence to create that engine, etc., etc., etc.? And for you to be able to ride it on, on a level plain land, it's Allah, so that when you get into even this vehicle of yours, you remember it's not about just getting to my work, I'm going, you know, going shopping. That this vehicle has been provided for you by Allah, subjugated, subdued for you. But Allah, that you yourself, as soon as you get into it, you remember Allah Azza and you say this dua, and here's a dua. Subhanahu alladhi sakhara lana hadha wa ma kunna lahu mukhrineen wa inna ila rabbina lahum qalibun. It becomes a spiritual experience. That driving your Ferrari becomes a spiritual experience. Yes. And it's okay to drive anything, right? As long as you remember this. And the dua says this. Subhanahu means what? Perfect. Wow, how perfect. How perfect is Allah, subhanallah, the one. You instantly, the mindful, conscious believer remembers instantly. Not only the horse, but the donkey. Not only the, 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 you know, the, the animal, but the ship, and the plane that I'm riding, and this Toyota that, that I'm riding right now. I'm gonna get into it, remember, subhanallah, how perfect is the one who made this. Who subjugated this thing for us. And we ourselves, you are saying, we're not muqrinin. Muqrinin, you're, muqrinin means capable of subduing it ourselves. We're not capable of subduing it ourselves. Imagine if that donkey goes wild on you. I don't know if you've ever tried to find that or a camel. I was just watching a video. Uh, I don't know who sent it to you. Somebody just going to make a lot of sense. Um, a couple of people were riding around it, like a little bit heavy. Right, and they're heavier side. They got on this animal, on, on this camel, and the camp, camp poor thing just crumbled on the floor, on the ground. <laughs> it was just a funny scene. But if that animal decides, they cannot take you. That's it, it's over. You cannot do anything. How often have we seen animals doing this? They say, nah, not cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that car can blow up anytime. What are you gonna do, right? How many times has, have cars stalled on us? Out of nowhere, a burn, engine's burning. Literally, fuel runs out, out of block. In this case, electricity. Charge is out. You're done. You need to find a supercharger. Right? All kinds of things can happen to the car. Planes fall, fall off of what? Off of the sky. From the sky, we see them. Right? It happens all the sinks. Ships sink. Allah says that ocean can swallow that ship. Right? That air can burn your engine. That bird, how often does it happen? It hit the, the windows um, of the planes and swallowed, shattered them and pilots lost control. All it takes is a split second. You cannot subdue a thing that Allah decides. 
Would you have imagined that that's what we should be thinking when we get into our vehicles? That it's not about the vehicle and getting to our destination? It's actually about Allah and remembering we're weak. We cannot subdue a thing. That when you state this dua, you're among the most righteous. You're among the most conscious. You're among the most blessed that Allah will turn your vehicle into a, a vessel, a channel, uh, a means of delivering good to you. SubhanAllah. You're asking Allah to do this for me. Make it good. Make it bring me to something good. Take me to something good. Protect me, Allah, from its evil. And then you remind yourself. What does it mean? And to Allah we return. All of this, the destination I'm going to is not the end. Right? That this vehicle doesn't become something I worship. Right? That whatever I have, all of us are returning to Allah. All of that we're supposed to be reminded of when we do what? Even getting to a vehicle. That's incredible. And our faith makes riding a donkey or Porsche an act of worship. Active reminding us about our source makes us conscious human beings that do not worship the thing we're using. The thing we're using. And blessed Allah, you know, blessing it is, really indeed, that Allah gives us a thing to say and think about with every act or word we utter in our life. SubhanAllah. That's what we're supposed to learn these thoughts and teach them to our children, but also reflect on what they mean. This is a deeply spiritual experience. You wouldn't have thought that, would you? Right? But that's again the message of the Quran. So Allah continues on um, deconstructing and breaking down the ridiculous arguments of disbelief. See, disbelief wants to insist on disbelief. And they want to disbelieve because they don't want to change their ways. It's all out of attachment to the ornaments of life. Zuhruf. Worshipping life. That's really what it's about. I'm so consumed by the gift, I don't want to remember the source because I don't want to change my ways. I don't want to make an effort. That they would do also what? Come up with ridiculous fabrications saying that the angels are the daughters of God. Who told them that? God himself didn't say that. God does not take children. So he says, and they've also came up with something very false <clears throat> and unfounded. They've turned the angels of God, who are in essence the servants of the merciful. The servants of the merciful. They made it into females, right? And they never witnessed their creation. Allah says, have you seen angels? Have you seen how angels were made that you call them females? And then on top of this, now you call them daughters of God? Have you seen this? What's your evidence? Allah is asking us for something very simple. What's your evidence? In fact, even the creation of the heavens and the earth, Allah poses the question in the Quran. Have you really witnessed the creation of the heavens and the earth? Did you come up with Well, it's one thing to investigate and come up with a theory. But it's quite another to start imparting philosophical interpretations on it. Right? Saying, this is how the universe was made. Right? There's no God. Well, that's us. Nonsense. Philosophy of the human being being injected into something they haven't even seen. Allah says you didn't see how the universe was constructed. You come up with theories on it, but it's not the full truth. How do you judge the truth? You need a source, and the source is Allah. Otherwise, you did not see, and you didn't see how the angels themselves were made. Or have we given them a book, as Allah says, 
Or have we given them a book before this Quran to those people of Mecca that they read and they're holding on to it? No, they're not. They don't have revelation from before the Quran that gives them this answer. So what do they have then? And he, said, he answers the question. He says, let me tell you what they're saying. Allah saying, no, no, no. What you're saying, we don't have revelation, but you know what? Oh, the reason why we're, we're not going to follow this Quran, we're not going to change how we do business, we're still going to bury the daughters, we're still going to corrupt the poor, I mean, uh, you know, uh, oppress the poor and the weak. We're still going to call Muhammad worthless man. All because of what? All because our fathers did that. Because our fathers, you know, culturally were this way. They worship these idols. And since our forefathers can make no mistake, we're just going to follow them. Blind following of forefathers. You know what Allah is doing right here? Issuing a severe condemnation to what? Blind following culture, superstition, unfounded beliefs. It's a condemnation. But I ask, is that a problem that has existed only in Arabia 1400 years ago? They come up with partners to God and, no, 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 no. All the superstitions, brothers and sisters in our community. How, how, how much superstition do we have as Muslims? Crazy, I would love to just leave your commentary on this after this. The amount of superstition, worship of cultural norms that make no sense in marriages, in death, in divorces, in neighbor, right? In all kinds of familial relationships, all nonsense and they're not part of the guidance of Allah. And you know what we do? We insist on them and we say what? Well, that's how we do it in my family. That's how we do it in my culture. That's how we do it in, I don't know what country, blah, 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 blah. And because of that, it's a substitute for what? God's wisdom. Allah says, you can't do that. So his condemnation was intense 1,400 years ago to the Arabs, and it's equally intense today because the Quran is still here. Allah says, stop it, right? Stop it, don't justify it. it makes no sense. Whatever it is, ridiculous cultural standard or practice that we're doing, or deciding what's worthy. To this day, don't we still assign worth or decide the worth of people based on superficial materialistic standards. Don't we still do that? I think we're gonna continue, continue to do that until the end of time. That we decide who's worthy based on their social ranking, their degrees, their occupation, their wealth, their appearance. Isn't it us Muslims who still decide there's a color better than another color on our skin? Isn't it true? Wow, Allah's condemning that. And he's saying, that doesn't mesh with my revelation of my guidance. Stop it. Right? That's what Allah is saying. Because it is condemnable by Allah. It angers Allah as such. And it's very severe. And it's a very significant um, phenomenon, our own phenomenon, to reflect on and say, why are we doing this? And why are we insisting on it? Because Allah also condemns their stubbornness when they're reminded. See, it's one thing to, to make mistakes and say, I didn't know. I was ignorant. Allah excuses ignorance, but when the ignorant is reminded and taught, and they're still stubborn, what does he say? That's it, no excuses for you. You're done. Allah doesn't excuse, you know, doesn't excuse blind ignorance, stubborn ignorance, and insistence on somebody's way. 
And Allah Azza wa says, um, repeats the argument against them, but then gives us the example of somebody who resisted the dominant culture. So he says, you know what, I'm not putting up with your ways just because your, your forefathers did it. And he stood to um, face severe punishment because of it, and it didn't matter. Who was that? Prophet who? All of the prophets, by the way, right? But he distinguishes here Prophet Ibrahim. And he says, Ibrahim found himself in a culture that worships idols, including his own father. Imagine how intimately close it was to him, but yet Allah honors him and praises him by saying, Ibrahim stood up and says to all of his community, including his own family and his own father, I am innocent of what you're doing. I'm free of what you're doing. I'm not following this. Of course he was respectful to his father. Right? Pay attention to the, also the tone. He says, listen, I have nothing to do with this. I can't do that. I'm not going to worship idols just because my father did it. And my grandfather and my grandmother did it. I'm not going to do that. It's because the community does it. I'm not going to do that. I will not change. Because I have my source, Allah Azza wa who guides me. But of course he was wise in how he did it. Right? He was wise, but he was very, very clear. Then he says to them, because he's trying to teach him. He loves his community. He loves his family. He says, <clears throat> I'm not going to worship something you're worshiping. The only one that I worship. And he's trying to teach them logically how to think. I'm going to worship, if that makes sense to me, the one who originated me. That stone right there did not originate me. I'll worship the one who made me. Fatara means initiated, not just create. The one who created the initial seed, the initial embryo, the initial sperm and egg, the initial substance that he constructed me with, I am mindful of that. Allah is brilliant. He's asking about the initial causes. Initial causes, one of the troubling uh, um, thoughts, beliefs, misbeliefs that persist to this day is around this failure to think about original causes that many people are still stuck. When you ask them, well, okay, they say, well, evolution. Well, you say, sure, great, we believe in evolution. But it evolved from what? What is the initial cause? Now, <coughs> philosophical arguments have been constructed for millennia, thousands of years, that investigated this one question, what's the initial cause? And brilliant people throughout time have concluded there could be no cause for all of this but the hand of God, right? Because it makes no sense. How far back do you keep going for initial causes? A cause of a cause of a cause of a cause. Okay, how far back do you keep going? There has to be something that what? Fatara. Fatara means started it, initiated it from point zero. It's very logical. You know what's thinking this way? In one verse it's summed up. His way of thinking, Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he's asking his community, he's like, hey, who started all of this? It's fine. You can do whatever you want to do right now, but who started it? That's the one, the only one deserving of what? Your adoration and your worship. But you know the consequences. They couldn't cope with his argument, so he said, well, and what? Your life. We're not going to just change our ways. We're going to actually become more evil to silence you. But what did Allah say at the beginning of the surah? Do you think we're going to stop the reminders? 
and the revelations because of your corruption, no, they will not act. So the same thing happened with Ibrahim that Allah deconstructs this question or argument for them. They're not making any sense. What are the consequences of worshiping life and the ornaments of life? One of the consequences is that when we become corrupt, but we start to come up with ludicrous, illogical beliefs. We invent them. So one of them is this. It's in verse 31. So they're not, they're not happy with Rasulullah. They want him to stop. They want him to stop his preaching, right? They cannot cope with the message. Now they have false, false standards of value and worth in their lives. Remember in Mecca, just as in now, they attributed significance only to people of high social rank, political rank, people of wealth. Those are the people that wowed them. Not simple poor people, right? So now they invented this to stop Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they said, oh, you know, Here's one of their arguments, ridiculous, ludicrous arguments. Is it only if this Qur'an was revealed, sure, okay, we'll, we can deal with this Qur'an. We, we would believe it only if, only if it came down to a man, one of the chiefs of Mecca, people of high power. Yeah, so you see, if this Qur'an was revealed to one of us, we'd follow it. First of all, it's an argument, it's a ludicrous argument. They don't want to follow anything. Because if you want to follow something, just look at the content. Look at the content. Does it make sense? What is it teaching me? Oh, it's explaining truth from falsehood. Wow, like, wow, it's elevating me. It's explaining my story. Wow, it makes sense. I should follow it. They're saying, no, 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 no. We're looking at the message, sure. We'll be willing to listen and be convinced of it, even though it's making sense. Only if it was delivered, they're not this worthless man. This man, we're not going to follow him. He's poor, he's weak, this, this, and that. It's all an argument. It just makes no sense. If it came to me, I'll believe it. Like, wow. Allah says, are you the ones? And he says, are you gods? Are you the ones who are portioning out the mercies of God and who gets what? Allah decides. Allah accords. Allah reveals. Allah picks. It's not your choice. But it's nothing but a flimsy argument. And it speaks of what? Their ill hearts. Their sick hearts. That not only are arguing with the messenger of Allah, even though he's telling them, I benefit, I don't benefit from this. Personally, I'm not gaining anything. I want the best for you. Am I asking you for money or anything? I'm not asking for this. So it's very clear to them, but despite this, they argue with the message. But worse, they reveal their filth. And the filth here is racism. The filth here is that it comes down to them being materialistic people. They love and adore wealth and status, social status. That they're deciding right now only the high people in society are worthy of coming from the heavens. Can you imagine this argument, brothers and sisters? Not only are they unfair in the distribution of wealth, in the opportunities uh, for, for employment and jobs, they're very discriminatory. In the, in the uh, usurping and monopolizing the wealth and the resources of Mecca. They've already done that. But they're saying, hmm, by the way, if something comes from the heavens, spiritual guidance, it's ours. We, we're the ones who, it should be coming down to, not the worthless people. Wow, how perverted are they? Allah's saying, what do you think you're doing? Right? You don't know what is worthy and what's not worthy. 
you cannot judge anything because you're perverted, you're corrupt. So Allah Azza is, is asking these very simple questions. We construct their ridiculous argument by saying, are you the ones pushing out, distributing, deciding on provision and who gets what? That's a decision that belongs to God and it's coming out of his wisdom and out of his mercy. But Allah Azza in, in one of the central shallow cover of verses here in the end. In verse 33, which is a central uh, verse of the surah, Allah says, you've decided that Muhammad would have been worthy of being a prophet only if he was what? A person of wealth and social status. By the way, he was. He had social status. He came from a very privileged family, but they didn't care, right? It's just coming up with ludicrous arguments to discredit him. He's saying, so you're, you're attaching value. You decide what's worthy and what's not worthy based on what? The superficial appearance of it, the looks of it, the wealth of it, etc., etc. Then Allah says, you know how worthless that is to me? How worthless is the ornaments of the world are to Allah? Allah answers it in verse 33 by saying, Allah says, if it wasn't for the fact that people will be corrupted, this gold and silver and materialistic resources that you're so proud of, that, that for you, you know, you use it to define who's worthy and who's not, it is so worthless to Allah. That if, it, that if He wanted, He would have made the homes of the disbelievers made of gold. He would have given them so much, He would have made all their homes, not just 10%, not 20%. Imagine all the disbelievers on this earth. Allah says, I would have given all of them so much wealth and so much resources that they would, that the doors and the roofs and the stairways of their homes would be made of gold and silver. But he didn't. You know why Allah didn't do this? He answers, He says, because gold and silver and wealth is so mesmerizing, so corrupting, that if people witness, imagine, if we see all the disbelievers on this earth, all of them have homes made of gold and silver and golden elevators, what would happen to our hearts? We would lose our hearts. We would start ourselves to give up our faith. So Allah says, all because of our nature will be corrupt. To save you, He gives some people homes made of gold and silver, but not everybody. Make sense? Because Allah created gold and silver and wealth, so He knows its corrupting power. That's why He says, be careful what you ask for, right? So Allah distributes, distributes it out of His wisdom, but the point that Allah is drawing here is that this is how worthless it is to me. Because these people are worthless to me, they disbelieve in me. So if they disbelieve in me, I'm willing to even give them everything because it makes no, it, it is of no value to me. All that gold and silver and accumulation of the world means nothing to Allah that He Himself would have freely given it to everybody. But he only doesn't do this so that you and I don't lose our hearts. That's it. So Allah is posing the question of what? Why is it holding so much value to you? Now it doesn't mean we don't seek the pleasures of the world. Allah never said this. Allah put us on earth to live in this world. To still buy good things. As long as remember the dua of riding. Allah says, I'm not preventing you from driving a good car. 
But I'm asking you to be what? Mindful and conscious that this gift came from who? Allah. And that you worship Him and not the thing. And that you understand that the thing you're writing will go back to me. But you don't worship it. That's the beauty of this surah. That I'll um, draw our attention to actually a couple of verses and we'll end. Verse... Um, Verse 36, Allah says, <coughs> One of the consequences of not being touched and opening your heart to this revelation that speaks of truth, that teaches us truth, that teaches us what's good and what's false. Because we have no ability to judge what's worthy and what's not. Allah decides the paradigm of what's worthy and what's not worthy. Follow it and you bring yourself the best outcomes for your own well-being. Allah says, however, if somebody chooses not to follow this revelation, this guidance, divine, beautiful, wise guidance, and then chooses instead not to remember Allah, whoever deliberately chooses not to remember Allah, the merciful, Rahman, here's one of the consequences. We've seen consequences. They lose their minds. They become corrupt. What is another consequence? We don't understand this powerful consequence, severe. Allah says you'll attract yourself, will assign you a devil to be your partner. Wow. Remember, we alluded to this last time. That's a very dangerous consequence. Whenever we choose to not remember Allah, Allah will bring us company on this earth, human beings, and jinnis that we don't see will be our partners persuading us to insist on our ways. They'll blind us further because we chose to be blind. Who would have thought that this is one of the consequences of abstaining from the remembrance of Allah? Don't we see it? You see the law of attraction in place, right? Uh, evil brings or attracts evil. You see troublemakers? Who are they friends with? Troublemakers. Evil people, who do they surround themselves with? Corrupt dictators, who do they surround themselves with? Corrupt dictators. I mean, corrupt people. Corrupt company that also seeks, that you know, desires this world, right? That gives them, they tell them what they want to hear, but they're equally cruel, equally unjust, because they're all the same way. So whatever way you're on, you'll naturally attract company that subscribes to that thing, that loves that thing. So they'll reinforce your way. And they'll blind you further. Look at the people of Fir'aun. What have they done? Hey, Fir'aun, you're great. Keep it going. Except one believer, right? I mean, we know the story from the, we've covered in Surah Fatah. One, one individual who rose and said, guys, we, this is nonsense. Why, why are you giving a hard time to Musa? One believer who is a secret believer. The rest were what? Corrupt. Shayateen. Egging them on. Yay! Kill these people. Right? Because they desire the same outcomes. So Allah says, do you really want that? Corrupt company? But not only this, you're actually going to have an invisible partner. A shaytan, one of the shaytans, <coughs> insinuating, placing the seeds of evil in your head to keep doing evil. That's why people become more and more corrupt. The further they are away from what? Remembrance of Allah. Remembrance of Allah. And then Allah, I'm just going to end with this, verse 67. Uh, what Allah says, well, if you have bad company, you use each other. Bad company uses each other for 
you know, just to get things, not necessarily to benefit each other. So Allah Azza says here, Al-Akhillah yawmalidin ba'aduhum li ba'adin a'adubun illa al-Muttaqeen. He says, those, the evil company, in verse 67, are enemies for each other except the pious and the God-conscious. They don't care for each other. They're just using each other for evil purposes and to get things out of this life. So Allah says, there's a day in which the human being will rise on the day of judgment. And when we, find, when we face that reality of the hereafter, you know what these evil people will do to each other? They'll wash their hands off of each other, brothers and sisters. It's really scary. It's scary picture when you're looking at the person who corrupted you, or how you, in your corruption, and you're like, I can't believe you did that, right? And Allah says their venom, see, they hate each other already on this earth. Don't ever think corrupt people love each other. They hate each other. But their venom and their hatred and their spite for each other is concealed. You know when it comes out? On the day of judgment. They start hating on each other so much, calling each other names, saying, no, no, you're the deviant one. He said, no, 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 you're the deviant one. No, 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 you're the deviant one. They start their hate and spite and, and uh, a desire to even finish off each other becomes most intense and most manifest when? On the day of judgment. As opposed to what? The believers and their company. How do they show up? Hugs, brothers and sisters. Allah, if, if, if you really have a friend on this earth, companion on this earth, and they are bonded with you for the sake of Allah, their relationship never ends. Picks up on the day of judgment into Jannah, and it keeps growing and growing and growing in beauty. You never leave. These relationships, bonded on faith, never end. We pick up where we left off on earth, but with, with, with full peace, peace and bliss, none of the life's troubles will show up then. No, no pain, no fear, no jealousy, none of this stuff, even the good people will have with each other, will be had there, because Allah says, on that day, as opposed to the bad company that has hate for each other like that, right? The good company, the righteous company, Allah says, what do they say to each other? Instead of cursing each other, Nothing but words of peace. Wish, you know, good du'as for each other. That's it. Peaceful, blissful, kind words for each other. Kind desires and feelings from each other. And then Allah will extract out of their chests what? Every feeling of rancor. That's a blessing of Allah in the hereafter. That whatever here, you know, we might have seeds here of jealousy, of hate sometimes, of uh, ill wishes for each other. We might. Sometimes we carry these things in our hearts. Allah says on the day of judgment, they're all taken completely out of your heart. That when you look at your brother, you're like, whoa, I adore you. Completely adore each other. Love each other in ways that are not experienced ever on this earth. Out of what? Because they loved each other for the sake of Allah. Because Allah was the bond for them. And Allah describes in the surah at the end the beauty of Jannah. That every desire shall be attained. That you're not going to have enough for you, he says. You're not, not going to have any fear or grief. That one, at one moment, when our lives end here, imagine all the grief that has happened here. Imagine all the fear that we've experienced here. Allah says it's over. All of that is over. You're not going to feel any of it in your heart or face it in the eternal life. And enough for you to, say, to know that you're not going to die. That everything, the real ornaments are the ornaments of where? Allah says. Not the ornaments of this.